Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Are we awake? Yes. All right. It's, I'm so glad to see you're all here because it's raining outside. You know, you're, you're here. Let's begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let me introduce myself, if some of you don't know who I am. My name is Reverend Roxanne Jimerson Friday. I am your priest today, and I'm enrolled as an Eastern Shoshone tribal member. And I'm also part of the Seneca Nation of Indians in Salamanca, New York. My husband, Aaron, is enrolled in the Northern Arapaho tribe. We have three grown children, and I have five grandchildren. They are all enrolled in the Arapaho tribe except one. He's enrolled Shoshone. I made the history books when I became ordained as the first Native American woman, Episcopal priest in the state of Wyoming, and the first Shoshone tribal member to become a priest. This morning, I hope you have opened your hearts to the Word of God and to hear what today's Gospel reading may say to us. It is most difficult for me to talk about demons. I have had history of seeing somebody possessed and how Jesus Christ helped that person. I wished I didn't have that kind of experience. But it is most difficult to talk about, especially in today's society. The more we talk about them, the more you will see them, the more you will become stronger in your faith. The man we encountered in Luke's Gospel is never given a name. He is not introduced through a name or a family bloodline, but through how he is living. This man had been naked, living not in a house, but in a graveyard among the tombs. At times, those in the community have shackled him, tying him up with chains to keep him away from them and to keep themselves safe. Despite this identity, despite the torment he has experienced, which our gospel says is his being possessed by the demons, the man still comes to meet Jesus. Perhaps this is the first thing we really need to know about his identity. Not about the chains which keep him bound, or the demons who possess him, but about him. We know that the man has come to meet Jesus. Jesus first asks his name, and he answers, Legion. This name is not his, but that of the demons inside him. Legion is not the name of the man, but the name of the chains which bind him. Legion doesn't describe him. Legion isn't his essence. After learning what constrains the man, Jesus has a conversation with the demons. This part of the story is violent. The demons beg Jesus to let them enter the herd of swine. Jesus gives the legion of demons permission 
causing the pigs to violently run down a steep bank and into the lake where they drowned. The livestock are then killed in a way that might seem cruel or wasteful to our modern ears. But this was the extraordinary measure taken to save this man. The lesson here might be that there is nothing too extraordinary for God when God is fighting for us. God is about our freedom from all things and in all things. The people from the city hear about this miraculous occurrence and come to see what has happened. When they come to the scene, scripture tells us they were afraid. Let's pause for a moment here. Before this moment, there was a man living on the outskirts of the city, a man who was naked, sometimes tied up, and living in a graveyard. That was what the people were used to. It was business as usual. Now they have heard of something miraculous, that the man is no longer tormented by demons and has been cured. And indeed, when they come to find out for themselves, the man is sitting at Jesus' feet. And yet it is here, after the miracle, after the healing, that they were afraid. When they realized what had happened, after the whole story about the demons and the pigs were told to them, they asked Jesus to leave. For they were seized with great fear. The fear of the law was ingrained in their minds because they would be disciplined with imprisonment for not following the law. But faith was brought by Christ. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 25 to 26, But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. When we think we know someone, it can be difficult to make room for a new identity. The people of the town didn't know this man, but they were familiar with the legion within him. When that was taken away, a new identity shone forth. And because it was different, the townspeople were afraid. I wonder, when have we been witness to the miraculous and then been seized with great fear? When have you been too afraid to see someone's true identity shine through? When have we kept someone in shackles tied to their old identity? When have we ourselves been bound to an outdated version of who we once were? When Jesus is asked to leave, the man asks if he can come along with him. But Jesus sends him away, telling him to return home and to declare how much God has done for him. The encounter that Jesus has with this man gives him identity. 
He may not have a name, but he is known to the living God, and being known by God is being loved by God. The encounter with God sets him free. He is no longer confined to the outskirts of his community, forced into isolation, but brought back into the fold. When he tries to go with Jesus, he is gently redirected, for it is in community that we become known as our true selves. It is in community that our identities are formed. In Paul's letter to the Galatians, he refers to us as children of God. He calls us into our, our identity beyond our names, beyond the categories we turn to as ways of definition, claiming our belonging to God as the most important thing about us. In God, we are not divided from one another, but drawn closer. All of you here are my brothers and sisters. In God, the man who was tormented by demons isn't confined to his place among the tombs. He is brought from a place of death and despair into his community, into the life of God's people. When we have an encounter with the living God, those things which torment us, those things which keep us shackled, they all fall away. Those demons, self-doubt, judgment, criticism of others, God calls out and gives us permission to be exactly who we are. So what's in a name? Not as much as we might think. Our identities are many, they're extensive and individual. But one identity holds precedence over all the others. One identity calls us into a community of love and into relationship with the living God. That identity isn't <coughs> one we must earn or one we can lose. It stays with us from birth to death. No matter what paths we have chosen, we are children of God. In our Native American culture, we give names, Indian names, to our children. And I asked a respected traditional leader to give my oldest grandson his Indian name. The leader happened to be working at the elementary school where he was going to school. So he said he wanted to observe him for a week first before he came up with a name. After much thought, he arrived at our house and told us that he came up with a name. And he said it's wind through his hair. And told us in our language how to say it. Because his hair was long at the time. And he was watching him play, and he said his hair was so silky, and he could just, that's all he could see was his hair. So that's what he named him, wind through his hair. His identity is not going to be wind through his hair from that point on. His identity has been given at birth, 
as a Native American descendant of our forefathers, whose teachings from generation to generation are about the way of life close to Mother Earth. And what he does with his life after he has reached adulthood will be his identity, the path that he chooses. We can only hope that he will choose the right path. We choose that, and we hope that for our children, all of us. We return to our own houses and show what great things Creator has done in our lives. We gather around and we pray. And this is just not Native American. This is all of us. We mention our daily blessings. We talk about the good and the bad. And we handle our lives to continue the good road that we are on. We teach our children love. We express our love by helping others in their time of need. And we love one another just as Christ loved us. So we go away proclaiming throughout our lives how much Jesus has done for us. Let us pray. Gracious God and Father, as we celebrate Pentecost, we pray that there may always be time for the warmth of loving concern and the comfort of being valued in our homes, places of work, schools and hospitals. We pray for peace and love in our families, our communities, and in the world. That there may be harmony and mutual respect in all our dealings with one another. In Jesus' name.